This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today's guest is Jeff Eschleman. Jeff is an executive coach with 30 years of experience, ranging from combat in Iraq to corporate boardrooms. He is a sought-after expert in building and scaling results-driven teams, and his leadership style is characterized by personal development, consistency, and a tenacious work ethic. I think you'll really enjoy this uh, interview today. You know, Jeff is a, a wealth of knowledge, and and he's uh, learned it through experience and, and through the hard way, and and you know, hard work and so on. And I just think it's interesting to hear, you know, his journey. And he comes right out and says he is not a college graduate, but he learned kind of with boots on the ground, not only in the military, but you know, also in the corporate world. And, um, uh, you know, I just think it's, it's a journey that says if, you're, uh, if you've got a vision and you know what you want to do, you're willing to work hard, uh, you, you set your goals and, and, and your accomplishments you want to achieve uh, forward and, and work at it, and, and then take time to reflect. I think it's really interesting on his uh, take on this uh, day of Zen and, and using time to reflect and really think of what am I doing and how am I doing it. I think is is extremely important and something that uh, I believe that most leaders don't do enough of. So it's really an interesting approach. Um, he's done great in his world and and now as an executive coach, he's helping others get there as well. So uh, sit back. I, I think you'll you'll like the interview. Uh, somebody who's uh, definitely been in the trenches, uh, but now is enjoying the the fruits of that hard work and and doing well and helping others get there too. Jeff, welcome to the program. It's really great to have you on this morning. Absolutely. Delighted to be here, Steve. So, Jeff, why don't you just fill us in a little bit uh, with your background, you know, kind of where you grew up and where you went to school, and I know you have some military experience and kind of where you are now. So just give us a little a summary of, uh, of your life to date. Absolutely. Yeah, so grew, grew up right here in uh, Arizona and uh, really started – pretty early for me, like age seven or eight, uh, out on job sites with my dad, who is was a house painter here locally, so out on construction job sites. Um, pre- pretty average childhood, although I would have called myself a little bit looking in the rearview mirror, a, a bit of a mama's boy. Uh, and that pretty much started changing when I started playing football in high school, where uh, physical contact was a catalyst for <laughs> change in my life. Um, after I graduated high school, I actually went right into the military. I'd actually enlisted before I had graduated, just had a calling and, and wanted to serve. And so I joined a very peacetime army. But while I was in, uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. So I found myself in Saudi Arabia and Iraq and drove an armored personnel carrier into the Euphrates River Valley in Iraq. Um, I was 20 years old when I was coming back from that experience and knew that I had probably seen and been asked to do the worst things that I'd ever have to do in my life. And so far here today at age 53, that is still true. 
Uh, came right back to work and went to work in the same construction industry. Uh, happened to get hired by Home Builder directly, and that started a 30-year career in home building here. Um, I, you know, 10 years in the field, you know, as a line level leader and manager, I moved up through progressive levels of management and leadership, spent the last 12 years of my career as a vice president of operations, essentially running, you know, the majority of the organization. And I just got a little weary of running into the corporate fire. So March of this year, I retired and I'd been, you know, coaching people really my entire career, but I had started coaching people individually prior to my retirement because I knew that's what I wanted to kind of transition to. So over the last five or six months here, I'd, I've been slowly building my practice of one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching clients and some consulting work that I'm doing and just actually having a blast. So I've, I've just, I've really created kind of the lifestyle that, um, that I've dreamed of and I'm, I'm trying to live the quintessential dream. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, talk a little bit about, uh, I'm intrigued, did, did you come from a military family or um, I'm always intrigued what, what compels a, um, a young man as a teenager to enlist in the army? What, what's your driving force there? So not, I mean, I'd had uh, uncles. My dad was a Vietnam era Marine, although he didn't go to Vietnam. I had other uncles that had served in, in various capacities, but not what you would call a military family. And so mine, again, I just, it, it felt to me, Steve, like a calling. Like I just felt a duty internally to serve. And that's what compelled me. And, and you know, I, I, for brevity, I, you know, I went pretty quick through that, but that whole military experience, once we start getting into, you know, conversations about leadership and all that, that was, that was pivotal in, in my, in my trajectory. Well, that was kind of the next, uh, where I was going with this is, you know, what do you think that that military experience, uh, helped most for you to become a good leader in your later life? Yeah. The, the way that I love to think about that is, I think being a good leader is, first of all, being a good follower. And that is one of the things that really came out of the military experience for me is just seeing good leadership, not only in action in the regular military, but then specifically out on the battlefield. And then the other, you know, the, the teamwork and diversity, like I, I didn't really have a very diverse uh, kind of upbringing, but when I went in the military and started getting involved, uh, you know, with different groups and that diversity that it brought to, you know, my own life and lifestyle. And so that, you know, was one of those segues into like working with diverse teams and figuring out how, you know, the power of one person put together in a teamwork environment and then being able to overcome obstacles like Every one of those things played out in crucible events in, in my military experience. So there's just, there's so many core fundamental things that came from that era for me. I'm interested that you use the word, you have to be a follower first. Uh, I don't often hear that in, in leadership discussions about being a follower. So maybe expand on that a little bit more. What do you, what do you mean by follower? Are you just talking about being able to collaborate and, and work with others or explain that a little further? Well, how about just taking orders? 
like when is when is anybody ever i mean you could call yourself the ceo or the president or i own this thing or any of that but the, just about the soon just about as soon as you get as full of your own kind of program then you're not going to be able to hear the troops right and you need to you know believe me i know you need to be able to hear all of the noise but you do need to be able to sort out right where that message is coming from so being a good follower to me I mean, just just like a battlefield scenario, like you have to know your role because just as soon as you're the private taking orders from the sergeant, he's taking orders from a lieutenant and climb that all the way off the battlefield. And now you're taking orders from people who, you know, sit in a White House on the East Coast, who's taking orders from the entire country, right, by the voting rights. So, you know, where does leadership end, right? I know where it starts. It starts with being able to be a good follower and take orders and carry out a mission. And then beyond that, you, you know, insert your own title, whether it's sergeant or CEO, and you have a different role. Did you consider making the military a career? Not at all. Like yeah. it was, <laughs> it was a, it was a hard, it was a hard life. I, I was an infantryman. So like, I love the, and I'll tell you, this is actually one of the down parts of being in the military for me. Like, I love the outdoors and hunting and fishing and all that. And I only wanted to serve for two years. The only thing that that you could do for two years had to be combat related. So I joined the infantry. Well, little did I know how much outside I was about to see. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah. And And so it literally ruined me for 10 years after I got out of the military where I didn't enjoy any of that other stuff. So it's it was a blessing and a curse. Yeah, I can I can imagine. So now you're uh, you're starting your career. You you went in as you said into the construction and the home building industry. Uh, you're from Phoenix, I believe, and and that yep. uh, talk about a big boom area. Uh, right. I imagine there was a lot going on, and and so how do you how do you know to get in the right spot where you're going to move up and become the leader that you want to be and not get just stuck uh, pounding nails. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, the, the thing that you can control is is you, you know, preparing yourself. Now, I was going to start with saying, well, Steve, I was also really lucky because I got to work good. I, I picked a great organization and I was able to work there for 30 years. And, you know, but then again, we could just pick luck apart all day and say, well, that's where preparedness meets opportunity. Right. So I think that the place that I love to start is focusing on you. Right. So it's your own personal development. I mean, that'll be a theme through, or could be a theme throughout our conversation today because of, of all of that stuff that you mentioned or that I mentioned in my introduction, you didn't hear me mention like where I went to college or any of that. Like I don't, I mean, I'm. it's one of my big regrets of not having more of a formal path for my education. But, you know, clearly as I've outlined the rest of it, it didn't stop me from doing anything either, right? So I found a different way to learn on the job and read the books and mentoring and leadership and things of that nature. So self-development, that, that's what I love about self-development is, and, and I would say that there's literally nothing like with a capital N that I haven't been able to achieve just by writing it down on paper and going to work on me. And then beyond going to work on you, then it's just going to work, right? So the next thing we want to talk about is action. And the best way to get anywhere is to be moving, 
right? And if you can move up, great. But if you can move forward, there's another military analogy, right? Move forward, keep it momentum, right? That's why that's such a beautiful thing in life and in business when you have, well, positive momentum, right? So taking the actions and then I, maybe the last thing I'll just say on the subject is being willing to get outside your comfort zone, say yes to things, even though you're not 100% ready. Or, you know, when somebody asks you like, hey, you know, would you consider doing this? You know, my first question is not, well, how much does it pay? It's like, okay, well, where would that get me? Like, I don't have any problem going and doing it for no more money just because I could get the experience doing it. And, and if I could probably tell you how I got to be successful, you know, without a college degree, it's just that. I said yes, and then I went to work. So it sounds like you're a, a goal setter, somebody that, you know, thinks ahead and, and what I want to do, as you said, writes it down and then, and then goes after it. Well, I would say I'm a goal achiever where I achieve what I want. And so, yes, goals are super important in my, in my world. And how did, where do you get that, um, I guess that mindset is what I'm thinking to, you know, always look for, you know, saying yes and what can I do to better myself and how can I think of the next thing? And you're always thinking of that future growth and, and so on. I mean, um, you know, that's maybe not natural for everybody. Where does that come from in your opinion? Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head and that's the answer that I was going to give. I am a, I am a nurture, not a nature guy, right? And not that you don't have both in your life. Clearly the skills that you are the, um, what you were born with, right? Your innate abilities, you know, use the whole basketball analogy of, you know, you're probably not going to find a five foot one guy right, that's playing center in the NBA, right? So that that's a natural part. But, you know, nurture, you could find Muggsy Bogues at, you know, five foot one playing, you know, four, uh, playing uh, guard in the NBA in his career because he, his, whatever he had going on inside of his personal inner constitution overcame the number that was on the, the height chart, right? So I, I, I'm just a big, I, I think it can be, to, to use a different word, cultivated, right? And so part of that has to do with your own internal kind of proclivity, but that can also be that can also be cultivated. And I think for me, and really early, I, I think I was just really good, Steve, at asking people like to mentor me and coach me. And that's why I really wanted to become a coach is because I could get, and that's what I did as a leader is give people a different perspective, you know, oftentimes better than what they had in their current world. And sometimes it was even peering into them and seeing something that was better, their capabilities, and then being able to have a conversation with somebody where you could get them to want to explore their own personal development, their own stretch, their own drive. I mean, all of that to me is like leadership one-on-one. So when you go back to that 20-year-old self uh, coming back to the U.S. and starting your career, did you have any idea that you would be able to reach the levels you're at now? Not a clue. I, I was I was literally clueless when I I, I was clueless until I was about thir- not clueless, but I didn't have the stuff that I have figured out now until I was about 38, and that's where I had a a different epiphany in my life and some other you know bad things that were kind of stacking up that I had to find a way to overcome. 
So you, you mentioned mentoring and asking people to, to mentor you. You know, I think we all learn from, from others and, and seeing somebody doing it well and learning from them. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I do think people sometimes hesitate thinking they're putting people out by asking them for, for help and counsel and mentoring. Uh, so what's your advice to uh, uh, a new professional coming into their, their career to make sure that they get that and that they can benefit from that? Sure. So first of all, it is seek, right? So seek that wisdom and and what you think is you know the, the these are these like very busy people and you don't want to take your time and all that but i guess the term that i would use is more often than not not every time but more often than not when i reached out to somebody and again if you approach it from a humble you know like hey i just want to learn I, I see what you have going on in your game and if i can learn from that you know, great. So I would say seek and then ask, right? Because if you don't ask, the answer is no, right? So you have to cultivate your own ability to be able to get outside your comfort zone and ask someone for help, again, being very humble. And then the last thing is be prepared, right? So don't waste their time, like show up prepared, like ask the questions you want to ask. And then I would say, be prepared to demonstrate that the, the information that they give you, that you will turn into action, right? Because that's one of the biggest things that goes on society today. We have, a, we have an abundance of information, but what we have is a poverty of attention, right? I could pour anything I want into chat GPT and get 10 great bullet points, but if you don't go do anything about it, nothing's going to change. So demonstrate back to that. That's what fuels, like when I'm mentoring someone, that's what fuels me is when I see them take the principles, put it to work in their own life or career, and better themselves. That just makes me want to pour into them even more. So be prepared and demonstrate that you're willing to take you're willing to take that information and drive it forward. And, and I think a word that comes to mind too that I see a lot of great leaders have is just curiosity. You know, the curious. For sure how things work and why things work and why you were able to do this and, and, and how could I do that as well? And, and just having that, that longing for curiosity, I think is, is a, is a big plus. And not only in leadership, I mean, curiosity is just a great life skill. I mean, if you want to talk about like the rich, like living a full and rich life to me is when you can be curious about what's possible. The word that I use mostly is speculation when you can, speculate on what a better future looks like and then it just adds to the richness of life and that's what i find as i get older now is that richness of life piece so let's uh, talk a little bit about i know that you work with uh, with teams and and um, and helping people develop their their cultures and so on and you know i believe everyone kind of gets it that you need to hire the right people for your teams but in your experience, what mistakes do you feel leaders make when they hire that person who just doesn't seem to live up to the expectations? Right. Well, I, I guess I agree with you in one sense, but I, I mean, I, I agree with you fundamentally, but I'm not so sure that people do get it. Um, and here's, because here's the problems, they are at the most basic and fundamental level. Like, just start with recruiting. Like, I can't tell you how many people that I go and CEOs and organizations that I go and work with that don't even have a really accurate job description 
written for a posting that they have out there. And let's say that they even have that. Then the next thing they don't have is a company culture where they've even decided who they want to be. Like, what are the core values of the organization? And how about our products and services? And what kind of people do we want on our team? And if you haven't baked all that stuff as a CEO or a leader of your organization in advance, you're missing the boat. There's just no two ways about that. Because what if you go hire a person with the right skill set that matches up on paper and they're and culturally they're a cancer to your organization? Like, yeah, great core values and all that, and you pick the right person. But then if you don't have a great onboarding process, like how do you get somebody up to speed in your organization? We sent people a, a company collared shirt before their first day so they could wear it and show up on the first day. And we had a whole script around what was going to happen day one, the first week, the first 90 days. Like that is such a pivotal time. Think of my old boss used to say, this is like you're going to school, you know, your first day of third grade and you're going to a new school. That's how that new team member feels. So if we can do anything, right, to create a different environment for them where that's more harmonious than, than great. And then we get into once they become a team member, like how often are you having reviews and or do you even have reviews? And then, you know, what does team member, you know, uh, satisfaction look like? And I'm, I'm not really a team member satisfaction guy. I'm a team member engagement guy. So anyway, I've, I've said a lot right there. So let me pause and see if there's any other place that you want to go with that. Well, I think you bring up a great point. I heard somebody once say that, you know, it's crazy that like when somebody leaves the organization, we give them a party and celebrate them. Uh, where, uh, you know, the other way to do it is what you said is, is let's celebrate them the day they come in. If you can imagine, right. you know, making a huge decision to join an organization and you show up for work and somebody says, oh, yeah, idea. oh, you're starting today. Yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, well, why don't you sit here in this office and fill out this paperwork and, and then uh, I'll come back and get you. And, you know, and it's just unorganized and, you know, nobody right. does anything for lunch with them or whatever. And then right. they go home and they tell their spouse, oh, man, maybe I made the wrong decision. Whereas if right. you do what you said, you know, celebrate them, uh, you know, uh, make sure somebody's taking them out to lunch. Make sure, you know, someone's mentoring right from the get go. You know, it's, it's a whole different uh um, uh, you know, laying out the, the, the plan that, that's, I think, going to be successful. Exactly. You know, what do you think attracts the best talent to organizations? If, if I'm a superstar and a key player and I'm looking for a place that I really want to learn and grow and, and, and make it my place, what am I looking for that, that really attracts me to that organization? So you're looking for, you're looking for good culture, right? So that's the word that we're going to use here. And then I, I think culture is driven by leadership, but it's also driven by an employee-centric organization where the voices of the team are heard. So this used to be kind of a, a infamous ploy that I had when I was interviewing top talent. And we had, uh, I was building homes, so we had communities spread out, you know, all over the valley. And I would tell somebody that I was interviewing, like, hey, here's what I want you to do for homework after our interview. I just want you to go to the website, pick one of our communities. I don't care. I'm not sending you anywhere specific. Just go pick someone and go pick somebody that's wearing a shirt like I'm wearing right now. And I want you to go talk to them about who we are as an organization. And I want you to ask them the good and the bad and the ugly because we got it all, right? And I want you to know what you're getting into here, right? 
So we mostly have good, but we do have bad and ugly. And we need, you know, we're working together to make those things better. And so company culture where it it's it's leadership who are driving that vision, but it's team members that are truly engaged in what that vision and that mission are. That is to me, like it, it's been my, I use this as a competitive advantage the last 15 years of my career of doing just that. Well, you're definitely talking my language. I'm, I consider myself a culture guy as well. And, and I want to ask you this question. Do you feel that most leaders of companies, um, are they intentionally trying to create a culture that they can be proud of and that they want? Or do you just think they end up with something happenstance somewhere down the road and then this is kind of who we are? Yeah, unfortunately. And, and I don't mean that like in a, I don't think anybody's meaningfully doing the wrong thing. It's just they don't know what they don't. I didn't know what I didn't know until I, you know, I had leaders come into my life that changed my paradigm around what leadership looked like, what communication looked like. And communication, Steve, one of the biggest and most powerful ways, and I mean two-way communication, but I do mean top-down, like we ran a one-page strategic plan. We ran meeting rhythms that had uh, very intentional and specific times where we were checking in with the team and telling them you know, how we were doing as an organization. And, and I personally think, um, that that is the holy grail for me of operational excellence is where you can get an individual that's performing in the organization. When you're communicating well, they not only know what their job is, but they know how how that is affecting the greater good of the organization and vice versa. When you can point back and say, hey, the organization here is suffering, you know, in this particular area because either you as a as an individual contributor or this group or this team on our teams is you know has got an issue and we need to find out how to overcome yeah that, that's really well said i couldn't agree more and when you look at a, an organization too uh, when it gets to a certain size of course uh, most uh, companies have a board of directors and what makes an effective board of directors for a company hmm well i well, I'll start with where I do with any any leadership conversation. It's being a good listener, right? So being able to get that information from from the team level, whether that be through engagement survey, but it can't just be that. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of like going out and walking the shop floor, right? And if you're a board, you know, member does that mean you're taking a third of your time to go out and work the shop, walk the shop floor? No, it doesn't mean that. But if you don't spend enough time and I, you know, quantify enough, it, de it depends, right? If, if your organization is up and humming, then it's probably far less than it is if your organization needs improvement. But even if it's humming, right, the worst thing you could do is just rest on your laurels and say, Hey, isn't this great? Everything's working great right now because we know something's coming in the future. It could look like a current recession, or it could look like a pandemic, or it looked for me in 2007, it looked like, oh, wow, this could be the great recession coming, right? And so life is always changing, so business is always changing, and leaders at every level, including the boardroom, need to constantly have their ear to the ground about you know, what is the climate of 
you know, the folks that are on the shop floor because that matters. You know, you just mentioned it in 2007, you're in the home building industry. I can't think of a, an industry that was probably hit harder uh, than that. So uh, where were you at that time and, and what did you and your colleagues do to, to get through it? Right. So I had literally just been promoted from mid-level management to my first ever director role in 2007. And we had grown to an all-time high as a private company. We had just been acquired by a Fortune 500 company. And so I was pretty fortunate. Again, is it better to be prepared or is it better to be lucky? It's good to be both, right? Because I got bought by a Fortune 500 company right before the downturn. And I, I got a chance to write out the entire economic downturn working for this, you know, again, very well-known organization, which changed my career, really. And so what we had to do, though, was hunker down, right? I mean, that was a time, it was, it was literally the worst time in my career because I had to lay off like a ton of really good people that, I, you know, that I spent, you know, my entire field career trying to train up. And you just had to get skinny and you had to get resilient and you had to get creative and you have to do all of these things almost every day because it seemed like, you know, it wasn't going to get worse. And then it got worse. Right. And that's why I think if there was anything that prepared me for the pandemic, it was the Great Recession, because almost everything that played except for the social dynamic, um, it, it was a great training ground for what it was like to go through something globally like that. So now you brought up something that I think uh, a lot of people experience and some don't do real well at, and that's you're with a company, you're in the leadership position, you you um, do things a certain way, you believe in certain things, and now you're bought by somebody else. Now uh, you have to figure out how to integrate into that organization and then also how to how to grow in that organization. So. Uh, was that difficult in your in your situation? You had the double whammy with the recession and a new company, but um, what was your experience with that, and, and why do you think you uh, 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 exceeded in that area? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go back to that word that you used earlier, which was curiosity, right? And so I think there in life there's a lot of different ways that you can look at things. I'm I'm clearly a glass you know half full kind of a guy, but I think when you look at situations like that, where, you know, use the example of you just got bought by this organization, and that can be, you know, tumultuous at best. And, and oftentimes it can be, you know, brutal because generally there's, you know, there, there could be, you know, layoffs and there's downsizing and there's, you know, we're going to assimilate you to our system, right? And, and none of that is, is comfortable, right? And so sometimes the best that you can do in a bad situation is just get curious, right? And look at this situation and say, I I'm a guy that loves to ask empowering questions, not only of myself, but of, of people and teams and clients. Like, ask a better question. Like, even though this dynamic is changing and it doesn't feel great, how could I still thrive in this environment? How can I embrace this new situation? How can I use this as a a situation going forward where I can grow personally and professionally. And if you ask better questions like that, well, guess what? You'll come up with a better plan about running into this. And it doesn't have to be through 
gritted teeth. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of times where I've tried to do just that and still got smacked in the face. But it's it, it's a choice about how you want to look at it going forward. Yeah, that, that is really well said. I think you described that really well. How do you teach? So, so let's say you're in this uh, bigger organization now and and uh, you know how do you teach leaders in that organization or people in your situation to um, you know work together uh, collaborate and, and do things as a team and, and go for the greater good and not just push push individually you know because you're trying to, to, to make a name for yourself and being seen within the organization so I mean make no mistake it, it is individual efforts. I, I have a whole list of operational distinctives that I use with my teams. And, and one of them in, in the very end talks about just that. It talks about individual efforts. So it starts with a, a statement about teamwork. It says, it says, we reinforce the team message constantly. We are one. And then I would stop and pause for effect. And then I would say, but make no mistake, it's individual efforts, right? Like you might be the only person in front of the customer having this conversation and you might have to be telling them something bad. And so how do we come together? So how do you bring your gifts and skills and how do we work together as a team? And so at the end of the day, Steve, what I would just call it is vision. If you've decided, maybe it's vision and core values. If you've decided that your organization is the place where team success is the hallmark of what we do here. Now, go ahead and celebrate an individual, like I was just saying, and this is how we celebrate individuals. We reward them with you know, better compensation, with promotions, with the ability to go learn more. There's several different ways that you can reward an individual, but it ought to be, or I don't know if ought to be is the right way, but I'll just say, I'll carry on. With it ought to be towards the team's success. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another th uh, thing that I, uh, in preparing for this, I, I know that you kind of coined this practice called uh, Zen for a Day. So explain to our listeners what that is and why you think it's important. Sure. And so <laughs> I like this, I like to use the plate spinning analogy, right? So I've gotten just about as good as anybody as I've ever met in my life at spinning plates and doing it well. So keeping a lot of plates spinning on multiple domains in my life and doing it well and having fun, comma, but it's still spinning plates, right? So I needed a process, and this was a direct lift from business, and what I recognized was our leadership team was checking out of our day-to-day scenario. We were taking a day, a quarter to go off site. We were meeting as a team. We were reflecting on the previous quarter and we were building a plan to, you know, create and crush the next quarter. And I, and it dawned on me, I'm like, why am I not doing this in my own life? Because I, I'm not, you know, I find myself up late at night on a, you know, probably the 31st of March. Why do I know that? Because it was the end of a quarter and I was up at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm, you know, trying to make sure all the boxes are checked on my goals because I don't want to go to this next meeting and say I didn't get something done. And then it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, why do I do this in my personal life? If I'm not being a good enough, you know, if I'm not being a good enough husband right now, am I up at 10 o'clock at night trying to figure out, you know, how I could do that better? Like here I am, 
you know, punching numbers into a spreadsheet. And it just dawned on me. I'm like, why don't I do this in my personal life? So my tagline <clears throat> for the day of Zen is check out so that you can check in. And so like tomorrow is my actual day of Zen. It's the last Friday of the month. And so nobody's going to get me, Steve. Like I won't be on social media. I My kids aren't going to get a hold of me. Like nobody gets me on my day of Zen because I've officially checked out of my day because I need a touchstone. I need the term that I use is white space, right? Just so I can, and, and the process is the first half of the day, I reflect on my previous month. Now, I have more written goals than anybody that I know in my life. Now, I don't know everybody, but I know a lot of people, and I have more written goals than anybody that I've ever met. And also, not only do I just have the list, I'm good at achieving them. Like, I've, I've built a life around goal achievement. So, I have a lot of stuff to review, my vital metrics, like how much money is in my 401k or what's my body fat percentage, my goals. And then really the second half of the day is about building a plan to crush this next month and being very articulate about from my reflections, you know, what didn't I get done and building a plan for that next part of the month. And it, well, I'll pause there and then we'll maybe, maybe I'll put one more commercial in for some other white space. No, I, I just think it's uh, very interesting to take that time uh, for your personal development and, and just, you know, make sure everything's in line. I, I am intrigued about your, your goal-setting strategy. Um, you know, just to, for sake of discussion here, I've heard the other side of that, that sometimes, you know, we can get buried in our goals, and, and goals are tough because you, you set a goal and then the goal post moves and you know or you complete a goal and then you it just moves and you have to set another goal and it's like it's kind of a never-ending chase for success um so how do you how do you look at it from your perspective and how do you make sure that the goals don't drive you crazy just like what you're saying you're, you're trying to make sure it doesn't do that by your day of zen sure i'll i'll tell you with one line that's the very last i have an entire paragraph that is my core written purpose, what I'm trying to do in life. And it talks about all my different roles as a husband and leader and all that. But there's one line at the end, which I can say very succinctly, and I'll say it now, which is, I want to be happy with what I have, comma, while I pursue what I want. That's a line from Jim Rohn, so that's not original. And I will live my entire life, and I will go to my grave trying to do just that. And I think what most people miss is the first part, which is I want to be happy with what I have. So if you can do both, I believe that's the holy grail for, that's where I say where success and harmony coexist. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I've told this story before, but I know that probably in my mid-30s, maybe mid to late thirties, I can remember coming home and telling my wife that I'm driving myself crazy because I'm just focused on when I get to this point and when I get to here and if I can just get to that. And, and so everything was so much future oriented that I just, uh, I was going crazy on the day to day. So by making a mindset that you do, do need to be happy where you're at, I think is a, is a really good point. Absolutely. Most leaders that you work with, do you feel like they're they're good at creating a life of harmony, or or do you just think the the majority of them are just out there in crazy land, and and that's something that you can really help them do? 
It's the latter. The, the, the majority of folks in our society are in, in crazy land. And, and it's not, you know, there again, like an ill intention part, right? Like nobody goes out there and says like, geez, I want, I want to, I want to feel crappy today, or I, I don't want to get enough done. Right. But it's just, what is the model? Right. So what is the model of society, you know, tell us, uh, social media, I talked before about, you know, the, the abundance of information that we have in our world, but we have a, we have a poverty of attention, right. And, you know, is an iPhone a, a blessing or a curse, right. And for some people it's a blessing and for some it's a curse. And so it's like, well, how is it working in your world? Right. And so we have these models and, you know, we, I have all these things that, that I've done not so well in the past, you know, like my nutrition is a great example of something where I had to crash the, I had to crash my own vehicle, right? Got more than a hundred pounds overweight just by like following what everybody else is doing. Work real hard on my career, you know, eat fast food. Don't, don't do a health and, you know, nutrition kind of a program because that's secondary to building my career and things of that nature. So you can get, it's really easy to get enticed by what society is doing and get lost in your own kind of circumstances. And, and again, we talked about change. That's what happens all the time in life. I mean, when, when you go from being somebody that doesn't have kids and then you do have kids, you, you know, you want to find out about adding a whole new level of responsibility to your life, right? That, that's, a, that's a perfect example. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Getting back on the self-reflection thing, I, I want to dig deeper into your day of Zen. So, um, you know, why do you think that self-reflection is so important? And, and what do you think it gives you to, to, to keep you uh, on, the, on the course of excellence? Well, two, two things. It, it clearly gives me feedback and results about what the world has given me because, you know, that's of the roles that I have in my life you know, my own physical fitness and things of that nature are almost exclusively up to me. Still not 100%, but mostly. And then there's things in life where I I want to, you know, I'm, I'm working with clients and, you know, there a better example is when I was working with teams and then the team success, right? So part of my outcomes were based on my leadership style and our company performance and all of that. And so it's, it's a constant evaluation of performance in one standpoint, but it's, it's almost more exclusively focused on my own personal awareness on me, right? And so I love to think about, you know, like old school, you know, Maslow, right? The hierarchy of needs and the gap between like who we are being. I love this, Steve. Like what is the gap between who I am being and what I'm capable of being, right? And that might mean the number of push-ups that I'm doing, or that might be like how powerful I can be or how persuasive I can be in a presentation where I'm speaking to a group of 50 people about job site safety, and I want to inspire them to do something different. And when I say different, I mean better, right? So when I'm evaluating those, those are two different kind push-ups, and public speaking are two different kinds of skills, but what I'm doing to affect either one of those could be very different, and they vary from 
you know, month to month, day to day, sometimes seemingly, right? So that's what it gives me is the awareness of what the world is giving me, but it's also like how I'm showing up. And if you don't take the time, like intentionally, like I do, the very first thing on my checklist that I'll do tomorrow on my day of Zen is make sure that the next one is scheduled because consistency is the key. And you also take it a step further, don't you? Also do an extended period of time for your um, your time of Zen at the end of the year to prepare for the next year. Exactly. And it's been growing kind of steadily over the years. I started, I take a day at the end of every month. In the business world, we took a day at the end of every quarter, and then we took two days at the end of the year to do our retreat. Now in my personal life, I've, I've ramped it up a little bit more, and I do a day each month. And then I, I started with two days at the end of the year, and it's grown to about three or four days. I, I started involving my spouse, and, and we would go to, like, cool places where we could get inspired and talk about, you know, our own, you know, we have our own goals, and we have our couple goals, and we have what do we want in life over the next, you know, 5, 10 20 years from now. And it's just, it's a beautiful time to, you know, come together if you have somebody significant in your life. Um, or it's just a beautiful time to spend a little bit more time. Uh, maybe this would be a great time to talk about that second part of white space, which is the other white space that it gives you in addition to reviewing where you've just been and talking about and planning for where you want to go. The white space that it gives me, Steve, is even on my month-to-month version, I mean, we have these things happen in our life. Like I use the example of let's say you have children and one of them starts to, you know, struggle in school, maybe in a specific subject, and you want to find a way to help them. And maybe it's you that's coming alongside them if you're capable, or maybe you need to hire a tutor or things. Or the other example I've been using is like aging parents, which I have now. And, and I'm thinking about like, What's going to be different in my life going forward as their life changes? And, and we tell ourselves like, oh, I need, to, I need to take some time to think about that. And you think like, well, maybe I'll do it Saturday, you know, like in between the soccer game and the date night with my spouse. And, you know, you find yourself in that situation, that 90 minutes and you put your feet up, you know, one time you're like, oh, my gosh, I haven't had my feet up in 90 minutes to myself in, you know, seven or 10 days or a month. And you're like, that, that's not when you're going to use it. So by creating this white space, you're able to, and I usually put things on my day of Zen, like throughout the month or even throughout the year, like I'll, I'll just give you a real personal example. Like I, uh, I'm, tr- my own personal fitness has hit like a plateau. And so I, I've added in like some intermittent fasting, which has helped me kind of break the plateau, but I need to think of something different that I want for my physical activity. I'm 53, and what I found is, you know, I haven't always been able to treat my body like an amusement park and and have that work well. And so I'm trying to find, like, different things that I can do in my life that give me the fulfillment of things that help my body stay strong or be stronger and that are fun for me to do. And, and if you don't take time to like take that apart and think about it kind of thoughtfully, you know, you just don't end up doing it. And so like, that's something that's on my year end right now already think about is like, what's my physical fitness look like five years from now, 10 years from now. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. That's, that's great. 
You know, as an executive coach, which which I am as well, you know, we we have clients come to us, and you know, and I believe a good leader can can take a really complicated situation and make it simple for the rest of the team. Um, and, and that sounds good, but you know, how do you get there? How do you coach somebody to just, you know, take all the complication and all the stress and all that part of it away from it, and just you know, hone it down to where your team really understands what they need to do and, and go forward. Two things come up for me there. One is very Stephen Covey, right? So it's begin with the end in mind. So the best thing that you can do as a leader, I call my leadership style expectations leadership. Tell people what you want. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Remind them, remind them. And you might notice that I said tell them three times and I only said remind them twice. We'll get back to that. But if you paint people a really compelling and a real clear picture about what success looks like, oftentimes that's what leaders don't do. They don't set a compelling vision for the outcome. So that's Stephen Covey. And then the next part is get out of the way, like empower your team to take inspired action. Like if you've hired really good people, get the hell out of the way. Like I, and maybe this is because I didn't have the formal education and that kind of thing, Steve, but what I found my entire career is if you tap into the gifts and skills of other people, I, I, I feel sometimes like I can't even believe I'm a leader. Like I feel like I don't know a thing and I hire these, you know, really smart people that have college degrees or MBAs or whatever. And it's like, Oh my gosh, the power that's locked up in your head and the ability like, we have to find a way to let that flourish. And so if you can tell people what the end vision is, like turn them loose and let it rip and then just kind of guide from there. Like that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. And celebrate them. You know, it's uh, this is front of mind because just last night I was at a, a sting concert here in Seattle and uh, you know, I mean, he's got all the accolades you could ever imagine as a musician, but Every one of his band, you could see that he highlighted last night, you know, in the show, which, uh, you know, the, he would step back from the, from the spotlight and let them come up front stage and play and then celebrate them after they did. And you could really see that he put together a team that was, you know, exceptionally talented, but yet he celebrated them every step of the way. And I, I think you could, you could just feel it and see it. Right. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff, when you, when, in anticipation of our uh, discussion today, is there anything that I haven't asked you or anything we haven't gotten into that you want to be sure we get in our program today? I, I, I the, part, the third part of the trifecta that I'll just mention here, we've mentioned the one-page plan and how that can have power. I refer to the one-page plan as the North Star. We've talked extensively about the day of Zen, and that's in the middle. That's where you get the white space. That's where you keep it all sorted out. But the last thing I want to lay on you is what I call carpe diem. And so that's obviously Latin for seize the day, right? right. right. And yeah. so what we do every day matters. And I also say about carpe diem, that's how you operationalize what's on the one-page plan. So if you write goals on there that are for the year and you write goals on there for the month, you know what are you seeing on the 15th of the month? Are you seeing this sheet? Do you have it in front of you? So if I have the process like I do in Carpe Diem, which points to my goals on a daily basis, 
And it doesn't just point to my goals, it points to my roles. So my role as a, as a father, in addition to my role as a coach, or my role as a son, in addition to how much money I want to have in my 401k. It keeps me tuned in on these things. And it, it is the basics and the fundamentals. And then specifically, you, we haven't touched a ton on this in the, in the conversation today, but your own personal health and well-being. And I, the other thing I didn't say about the day of Zen is, you know, I know when I talk about that process, it seems like super selfish to say my kids aren't going to get me or all, you know, my team's not going to get me. And I make no apologies, Steve. I don't care because if I don't take care of me, how will I be able to take care of anybody else in the world, including my kids or my clients or my team? So carpe diem. Yeah, yeah. And then, as you said, there has to be an emphasis or at least a, a front of mind, um, you know, realization there that you need to be healthy. And that's not only physically, but that's mentally. And if you're not, it's going to affect your performance with your teams. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Jeff, usually at this time of the interview, I always ask my guests a common question. And that question is, in relation to leadership... What is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave us with today? Uh, a pearl of wisdom for leadership is listen. So one of the best things, it's the fundamental start for me for communication is being a good, active listener. This is Dale Carnegie 101 about building relationships, leveraging the power of people, you have to be able to listen with intention. And if you can really hear what your team is saying instead of just instead of just taking in the words, but if you can really hear and tap into, and this, and I mean for your five-year-old at home or your spouse or your team, if you listen with intention and then you are aware, you're that is the base, that doesn't always mean that you're gonna make the right decision or say the right thing. But if you're starting with listening and really hearing someone, that's that's a great place to start. Do you think you were uh, always pretty good as a listener, or do you think that's something you had to develop over time? It's definitely had to be developed. Again, I'm I'm the I'm the I'm the <laughs> I'm the I'm the nurture guy, not the nature, right? Like yeah. I don't think you know how many fifth graders, how many five year olds do you know that are good listeners, right? Not many. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a great point, and I, I do agree with you. I think it's extremely important, and, uh, you know, a lot of people think they're good listeners, but, uh, you know, it's just not, not speaking. It's actually hearing things people say that give you opportunities then to interact and, and help them and, and, and support them. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just being quiet. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jeff, this has been a, a real pleasure. I, I, uh, it sounds like you've, uh, you know, kind of got things uh, dialed in nicely to, to learn and grow, but yet also um, uh, maintain some sanity, which is what we're all looking for. And uh, so it's, it's great to hear your story and, and sounds like things are going well down in Southwest for you. So appreciate your time and, uh, um, you know, look forward to seeing uh, more what you do in the future. Absolutely, Steve. Pleasure for with the conversation today. Okay, well, thanks so much for your time today, and uh, take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. 
To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.